season's greetings. Welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us howl to your choir or spook your ire as we spiral down nightmare lane with cult classics, jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with tricks, treats, and screams. I'm your host, Mixed Ghost. <laughs> you got this. I'm your host, Mixed Ghost. Keep going. Live take. Mixed Ghost Magistrine. Here today with a very spooky guest. Artist, podcaster, chronic sleeper with snakes for bones, sour cream grave top, aka milk surface. Hello. <laughs> Please keep all of that. I'm referencing it, so now you have to. Okay. <laughs> That's the podcast rule. I'll delete all of it and it'll just start with you saying, Please keep all of that. <laughs> be like, what? Just a cold intro. Please yes. keep that. And no, 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 no. Please keep that. <laughs> well, Welcome, Milk, a.k.a. Sour Cream. Hey. <laughs> <Great> top. <laughs> milk has selected a spooky feature for us to discuss. 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 Discuss disgustingly. But first, I'm going to interrogate them. Yeah. If that's okay with you. Oh, yeah. I'm cool. already cuffed. Okay. First of all, to you, what defines a good Halloween movie? i.e. a good movie to watch in October or around Halloween. Oh, wow. that That's a tricky one. I, I guess whatever the season means to you, you just want that like vibe heavily. Like there's really only one tradition I have as far as media goes when it comes to the October season. And that is I watch uh, Over the Garden Wall Aww. every October. And a lot of people do it every fall. They'll like start maybe early September. Yeah. But the series takes place on Halloween. So like it has to be October at least. But like that's not scary. I mean, it gets scary kind of considering like it's a children's cartoon. But overall, it's not scary. And so, you know, that's just like my vibe of what the the season is. I'm not a very like horror fan. So I don't want to say, oh, the perfect Halloween experience is watching a bunch of scary movies. No, it's just whatever the season means to you and, and finding media that like reflects that to get you in the mood early on. So you can kind of hold it in your heart while you carry the burden of life as you go through the month and just enjoy that vibe rather than what reality provides you. That's the point of media, right? Yes. Yeah. A good Halloween movie is something to carry in your heart while you forget the burden of life. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, <laughs> that, that's what it would say on the back of the book. <laughs> Perfect. I haven't seen Over the Garden Wall, but I've heard it talked about a lot. Yeah. It's like, it's like cute, right? Isn't it wholesome and cute? It's pretty dang cute. Yeah. Okay. There's just like little scary moments, um, mm. but it, it's a uh, super cute. It's uh, a mini series. In fact, it's the first mini series Cartoon Network ever did. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. They pretty much did pilots and then full series. Uh-oh. I just lost internet. Damn it. Son of a bitch. 
it oh, has music done by the blasting company uh it does you know regular animation but also does something called straightforward animation for some scenes so it gets like really wonky it's based off of an original pilot that you can also watch online really really great mini series nice my internet did drop out yeah for a little bit because it you didn't come back mid sentence you it sounded like it just like flowed so it should be fine. You can you can cut out some of my descriptions too. I'm sure I doubled up on stuff. Okay. Yeah, you, you had a good description. So I think it covered it pretty well. Cool. Cool. So that's a barometer of what defines a good Halloween movie in your uh what's the word? Brain. In your brain. <laughs> to your vibe brain. <laughs> our second question. Do you get scared during scary movies? Oh, yes, so badly. <laughs> like, I am such a wuss. I get scared so easy during scary movies. Yeah, and I will get nightmares and have trouble sleeping. It's been a while since I've seen a scary movie, though. So maybe maybe the nightmares isn't there. But like I remember watching uh, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, and that messed me up for quite a while. You, you're saying third. Isn't it third kind? I, well, no, that's like the old, old movie, but Encounters of the Fourth Kind was like the one where it was like half documentary and half like dramatization, <gasps> I believe. Oh, I never even heard owls. of it. Yeah. Huh. Maybe it's just called The Fourth Kind and they cut the the Close Encounters, but yeah. Are you sure this wasn't just a nightmare that you had about Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I don't think I've ever seen the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I haven't either. I'm Google. Oh yeah, it's called The Fourth Kind. Yeah, yeah, it's really good, actually. Well, the one I'm talking about is the one that like shows little bits of real footage. Mm. It's about like people who have sleep problems. Oh, that sounds really scary. A pseudo documentary. It must be the fourth kind then, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Cool. I want to see that. Directed by Olatunde Osunsani. Cool. Okay, yeah. So you said you get super scared and one of the things you have is nightmares. Yeah, yeah. What else? Like when you're scared during a scary moment and you're watching a movie, like do you, what kind of fear reaction do you have? Do you like jump? Do you cry, scream, throw things? I've never cried. I don't typically scream. I will like kind of clench up and like look away. I might gasp. Oh yeah, you said you gasped at the velociraptor swimming in the ice. Yes. (laughs) I think that was more so because it was just so cool. Oh, Okay. So there's fear gasps and there's, oh my God, so cool gasps. Yeah. Got it. Well, you have chosen a spooky movie for us to discuss that made a big impact on you in childhood. Yes. Right? Kind of. (laughs) Kind of. Okay. The movie that you've chosen is Gremlins, released in 1984, an American Black comedy horror film directed by Joe Dante, written by Chris Columbus, and Steven Spielberg had something to do with it, didn't he? Maybe. Anyways, I, I made a, a serious oopsie goofy mm. troop. And this was the wrong movie. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we can talk about a different one. I, I don't really need to I mean it's close enough. It. You haven't said the title yet. Do I say it? No, I said it. I said did Gremlins. You? Yeah. Oh, it, it's so smooth. It just oh yeah, you did. <laughs> I see my brain's blocking it out to protect me. <laughs> so it must have been Gremlins 2. Oh, okay. That seriously gave me nightmares. But I did see Gremlins. I, I probably saw them like back to back. It's just the scene that really spooked me was not present when I watched this last night. Oh, okay. So th- there's a specific scene in Gremlins 2 that, that really scared you? Well, that uh, I remember 
this is kind of like so old that I just remember some of the fear responses and little highlights of watching it, but it's more so like my parents telling me about some of my fear reactions for the ongoing months. Mm, which were? So in Gremlins 2, I'm guessing, <laughs> the movie I have not seen since this initial trauma <laughs> I guess a gremlin comes out of a toilet like as someone's using it oh yeah I feel like and, I've seen that image just yeah. like screenshots and it terrified me so much that like I had trouble using the restroom oh my gosh uh, as a youngin and and I think I was like five six when I saw this that's too young <laughs> yeah oh yeah this was kind of the telltale sign my parents needed to never let me watch horror like mm -hmm. even as like a young adult my dad was like no you're not allowed to watch children of the corn I'm like <laughs> I'm not even a minor anymore and he was like I don't care that's a rule I'm giving you <laughs> I approve of that yeah good job dad <laughs> he learned his lesson by letting me see Gremlins, a <laughs> not scary movie at all. Because I just watched the first one last night, and the scariest scene is the very end where uh, Stripe, the the main antagonist, is like melting, like flesh and skeleton and all. Mm. But like knowing me, that probably didn't scare me because it was closure. Mm. I want to say another movie that scared or that would have scared me really bad was Mirrors. Um, like actual Mirrors used to freak me out a lot when I was younger. Still kind of do. And I was terrified to watch the movie Mirrors. Uh, but some reason I did. I, I think it was peer pressure from a friend. Wait, That's you were scared of Mirrors before and then you watched a movie about them? Yes. What, what, were you, what made you scared of them before you saw the movie? they're just spooky like do you not experience that i no i mean i have body image issues that have gotten a lot better but used to be bad and so i used to avoid looking at mirrors but other than that no oh yeah this is like paranoia fear i used to have that like your reflection is gonna jump out or no um, there was no like exact fear like if I had seen a movie where there was like a different reflection or something that would kind of be in my mind. But generally in life, there was just this sense of dread if I was looking in a mirror too long. Hmm. Uh, but for some reason, I saw the movie Mirrors and the ending to that movie was just so bullshit <laughs> that I wasn't even scared for a while. <laughs> like like uh, the movie, I remember had scenes that spooked me out, but I just wasn't scared by the movie anymore because of how the ending was so bad and I imagine like even as a kid that same kind of mindset of like closure would would help so I don't think the scariest part of Gremlins probably freaked me out but that toilet thing that spooked me for years yeah that scared me for years that concept is a very scary concept I remember reading an article as a kid like in a newspaper or something hearing about how a snake like really did come up through someone's toilet like not a movie like it actually happened mm -hmm. and that made me scared of toilets for a while I still use them but like I would think I would be like scared while I was using them yeah <laughs> that's a I mean it's your more your most vulnerable place the toilet like you really it'd be very hard to defend yourself you have to like finish peeing and then like put your hands up to defend yourself yeah, well, this is why I have a knife strapped to my anus at all times now. Perfect. 
that was my third question third question was tell me about the first time you saw this movie and you pretty much covered that kind of yeah yeah my fourth oh wait has your fourth kind question yes <laughs> has your reaction changed since the first time uh, i guess you you so you haven't rewatched it but do you think watching the toilet scene again would give you nightmares for weeks no I, you say weeks you're underplaying it this was months to years Holy like shit. like months of according to my parents months of uh like like pretty stressed out about it and damn. like years of it kind of being in the back of my head damn poor little yeah. uh snow cream sour cream yeah. <laughs> snow cream <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't remember Please, the that's what they call me in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, it would not affect me the same way. I mean, just scary stuff in general doesn't affect me the same way. I, I've kind of like gotten over a lot of that. Like I do get scared, but I don't take it with me as much, which is kind of wild because I do have like an ongoing like paranoia issue that that's like a mental health related thing. But horror media doesn't affect that as much. Uh, so I, I think I'd be fine if I saw that. I mean, nothing in Gremlins 1 scared me. The only thing that scared me was just how bad some old movies can be. <laughs> oh, so you didn't like Gremlins? No, it was terrible. Yeah, it's an awful movie. I didn't like it either. I didn't think it was awful, but it's just not my, it's not my jam. And then I had to turn off the video and just listen to the audio for the end of it because I was eating. And I have a weird thing about food and like, I don't usually get grossed out by watching things normally, but if I'm eating the like threshold of what I can see on screen while I'm eating, like goes very low. And I, I could think that's not, common. is it? Cause people always think I'm weird when I have that reaction to things no I, I've heard that reaction plenty of times no well I could not see the gremlins on screen while I was eating and so I had to just like open another tab <laughs> or an technically 80s movie the practical effects are really good true yeah the puppets were great and very gross looking I would say yes. even when I wasn't eating they grossed me out so because yes. you were saying earlier that it's not a scary movie but I could see it freaking kids out anyway just because those puppets are so yes the, this is a movie i think that parents watch with their kids and see it kind of tests the water if it's okay to let your kids watch scary movies i think it like considering the times it would have been good for that but the parents are laughing but the kids are like scared but in a more safe way you know i guess Though I will say, I would say don't let your kids watch Gremlins, not because of the Gremlins, but because of the story that the girl romantic interest shares about her dad dying in the chimney because he was trying to be Santa Claus. Yeah, that was so That's weird. That's the scariest thing in the movie. Okay, so there's so much of this movie that just doesn't matter and doesn't make sense. Like the dad being inventor doesn't matter throughout the whole movie. Yeah. And the, the beginning of the movie sets up the son who is the main protagonist yeah. to be the most irresponsible however through all the actual gremlin stuff he is the most responsible person before mm. there's even a problem he's the one like checking the time about the food he's the one who like was very conscious about the water but it still accidentally happened like he was so responsible like what was the whole point of multiple times making him seem irresponsible beforehand unless this is to show your children like hey shape up you little fucks uh also the dog didn't matter at all oh yeah i forgot about it uh, like there was a woman threatening the dog and stuff i'm like this is gonna come back it didn't like so much of the movie 
had things that just didn't even matter. And the very first one was this guy saying, damn foreign cars. And I was like, okay, I know. that doesn't matter to the movie, but that's like a product of the time to get that message out there. So like, I get that. And then a kid dressed as a Christmas tree at a selling lot. Like that was just a joke. It's fine if it doesn't yeah, matter. That's true. But there were so many things that were like plot related that didn't matter. And the other thing that's so weird is this movie uses other movies so much. Oh, really? Like what? Yes, there, there's like five other movies playing in the background oh, that are yeah. actually like part of the story, although most mm-hmm. of them don't matter, but they set up like a character thing. But like one time Lamp Before Time is playing and like no one even acknowledges that. I'm like, why is it even there? And then the, the biggest one is um, watching some horror movie. I, I think it's Pod People or, or something. Yeah. And it's a foreshadowing of what's going mm-hmm. to happen. They used a different movie to foreshadow in their movie. How how <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I mean, I think that can be fun, but not if it it was it was definitely ham fisted. Is that the word? Yes. I, I've seen it done in a fun way, like in cartoons where it's like a parody or something original but stupid to like foreshadow. Like that's fun, but they just use straight up footage from other movies. Yeah. So the reason it's called Gremlins, because you mentioned the guy who was like bitching about foreign foreigners and their foreign cars and stuff. Yeah. It's called Gremlins from that guy. Like he calls the parts that foreign foreigners use Gremlins for some reason. Or I don't know if he was calling the parts Gremlins or if he was calling foreigners Gremlins. And then they end up calling these creatures that are actually called Mogwai. Yes. Calling them Gremlins. And then the movie got that title. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there's also some very like racial, <laughs> racist, racially uh, depictions of uh, Chinese people. It's uh, it's a racist movie, but it's 90s or 80s, I guess, 1989. So 84 for the first one. 84? Yeah. Oh, I, I thought I, I saw 89 last night. Okay, okay. Yeah, but I mean, it's. did you see that they're giving it a reboot? It's getting an original <laughs> animated series. No. That has John Woo in it. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, hmm. it, it's uh, it's called Gremlin's Secret of the Maui. Interesting. So. I'll watch a trailer for that. I normally don't watch trailers, so that's significant. Well, wrapping us up. Would you recommend this movie to everybody or anybody? No, like (laughs) I I gave the message of it being like a quote unquote, like safe place to see how your kids love horror and stuff like that. That was like for the time. Like nowadays, I wouldn't recommend to do that. I'm sure there's other stuff like over the garden wall. Do that to see how your kids react to scary stuff, because then there's comforting, safe stuff around it, too. This is a bad movie (laughs) um i love little creatures i actually think the gremlins are pretty cool looking i like some of the premise stuff despite it being like very like racially in tide Uh, i think there can be some tactful ways to actually do this the the new animated series might be good it's none of the premise and stuff like that i'm like i think that could be done well it's just a badly executed movie for so many ways like why were there kids at school on christmas eve it's dumb. Don't watch this movie. You heard it here first, folks. And I'm going to watch the second one and have the same opinion. But cool puppets. Very cool puppets. 
Okay, we have less than one minute. Let's see if we can get your plugs in. If people would like to hear more Sour Cream Grave Talk, where can they find you? Oh, I do a podcast called Nymphomercial. I do a podcast called Domain Daddies. I also am part of a podcast called Radio Flom. Uh, it's spelt funny, so just look up Flom, F-L-O-M-M. And I am Milk Myth on all social media. Yay, we did it. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on, Milk. Thank you for having me. And <laughs> say hello to the next guest for me. Cash money dabbing at you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. You, you saw the latest Jurassic movie? Yeah. I went to theaters for it. Like, you know, pandemic and everything. Uh, super scary. But like, it, it was a pretty dead theater. It, was it dead because the dinosaurs ate everybody? Yeah, yeah. Ever, ever All the patrons were fossil fuels now. <laughs> Delicious. But it was good. Or I don't know if I should say it's good, but I loved it. What was this movie called again? Jurassic something? Uh, Jurassic World Dominion, I believe. Ah, uh, JWD. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic wrap up to, I don't want to say the series because they will be making more stuff. They continually make uh, Camp Cretaceous stuff, although that just wrapped up. That's the Netflix animated series. And they've mentioned they want to make other things. But this was the final movie of the trilogy of Jurassic World. And I think it not only like wrapped up Jurassic World, but kind of put some closure on the Jurassic Park movies that seemed pretty disconnected. Yeah, I, I was really happy with it. I can definitely see why Jurassic Park fans might not enjoy that. <laughs> but I don't think they went too far in any direction because I know some people are upset about the clone stuff from the second movie. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Great, great movie. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. That's what matters. Yeah, I, I actually gasped. Ooh. So, what did you gasp at? Is it a spoiler? This raptor like can't get to them, and you're like, oh, ha ha! And then it fucking dives into the ice water and swims under the ice and like jumps out, and I like was shocked. Damn, a little scared even. <laughs> Tis the season to be scared. Oh yeah. <laughs> Our next spooky guest is Slash Kwiatkowskream, a.k.a. Dash Kwiatkowski, a podcaster, comedian, paranormal investigator, and starring extra in Hocus Pocus 2. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Slash, a.k.a. Dash, welcome to the show. Thank you. I definitely... I definitely start in Hocus Pocus too, and it's not. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, <laughs> you will see them if you look. If you look very carefully at the 18 minute mark, you'll see me <laughs> walk across the screen. I'm wearing a Dracula costume. Uh, they told us to wear whatever. They're like, bring your own costumes. And I was like, great, I have that. And then nobody checked to see that I was wearing the same Spirit Halloween store Dracula costume <laughs> that one of their featured extras had. <laughs> so there's two Draculas in this one. And there's a gay Dracula. That's me. And then there's a straight Dracula. And that's the other person who is Dracula. So it's, the, it's, a, it's a leaps and bounds for Dracula representation in this, this one. Well, you're obviously the better one. Thank you. I both think because so you're too. you and because gay Dracula is better, obviously. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the Dracula in hot 
pink boots so hell yeah yeah it's gonna be if that movie is up on youtube youtube has a thing where you if you hover over the play bar you can see like most played and it'll often be like a tit scene <laughs> or whatever but it's gonna be the 18 minute mark gonna be the 18 minute mark to be like there's that there's that gay dracula finally <laughs> Well, Gay Dracula has selected a spooky feature for us to discuss today. But first, I'm going to interrogate them, starting with, to you, Dash, what defines a good Halloween movie? There's like, there's scary movies that I don't think are good Halloween movies. And I think it's like the difference between a good song and a good karaoke song. There's a big, there's a big difference. I think that a good Halloween movie should have It's the same way that some movies are good, like in theater, like, oh, you want to see it on a big screen with popcorn. Halloween movies got to have not a theater, but a good like under like a little blanket popcorn sort of feel. It's got to have there's a certain there's like a je ne sais quoi about like this is a good movie to watch with some folks. You watch it by yourself, but like you have to have the whole setup, like a little popcorn and a little like a blanket. Like, I think Mandy is a great horror movie, but I don't know if I would say that's like a Halloween movie. I think that's just a great, like, chill out, watch it. You don't like Wait, Mandy. Is that the one with Nicolas Cage? And it's like, yeah, really that movie surreal rules. And weird. Yeah, totally. Great film. I did not understand what was happening. What can you tell me what happened in that movie? In that movie? Yeah. Uh, Nicolas Cage is a sober guy who's had a, uh, some sort of hard weird past some sort of maybe it's implied violent past but he's living with this cool weird artist and he's just got a cool life and then this cultist tries to take uh, the artist he's living with and put her in his cult and it doesn't work so the cultist kills her or has her killed and then it's just Nicolas Cage getting revenge on all these cultists for the whole rest of the film and there's parts that uh, sort of delve into the sort of the magical realism of is this is this horror are these demons are these humans who knows um, it's mostly just those those spooky SM nights that are sort of like, are they actually demonic or not? But it's just like it's the movie equivalent of a wizard fighting a dragon airbrushed on the side of a van. <laughs> and that rips. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just a cool. I mean, like at its at its most surface level reading, it is a just a revenge, like a horror revenge thriller starring Nicolas Cage. Mm. But I would say at a more sort of, at a more experiential and maybe not so literal thing, it is the delving into a sober mind that is sort of losing it. Like what, what gets somebody to absolutely go off the deep end? You know, a person who has tried very hard to, to sort of chill out and be a sweet and kind person. What, what can motivate someone to fall into a path of insobriety and revenge and mm-hmm. also i just think it's it's gorgeous it's just a gorgeous film the way you said gorgeous i pictured that it was like gorgeous oh sure yeah okay yeah <laughs> i seem to remember that it was gorgeous I, wasn't it i don't know i feel like there's blood oh yeah no it's 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 both it's both <laughs> is both for sure i think but i think that gets to maybe what i think makes it like less of a halloween film and more of a just a good horror movie in that i think a halloween film you want to have that sort of like party feel you want to have that sort of like whether it's jump scares or just sort of a spectacle i want there to be spectacle in a halloween film so would it be safe to say that hocus pocus two is one of the hocus pocus two is a f- yeah okay because it's fun and it's it's not even a horror movie but it's a fun goofy halloween centered movie it's a movie about halloween yeah i think it's a good halloween movie so not necessarily horror but a good party fun time movie 
yeah that's i think that's how i'm defining halloween movies it's, i agree it's tricky because some some people will be like i'm doing a, a horror movie for every day of october that's different then you could put any horror movie on there you know what yeah. i mean do you get scared during scary movies i don't get scared during i get scared after i'll i like mm. I, during a movie i'll watch it and i'm like great i get this is cool this is a good one and then later on when i'm like in bed and there's like a branch on the window that's tapping and then i'm like okay well this is now that's the one from i just the movie that i saw there's a <laughs> exactly the thing is outside so i don't get scared during but i absolutely and it's mostly like i think the things that scare me the most because like monsters don't really do it alien stuff don't really do it i think like possession possession and poltergeisty stuff i think is the stuff that like scared not the film poltergeist because that's not even that barely feels like a horror movie to me, but that that genre of like, yeah, like pos- possession and and like ghost stuff probably scares me the most, which is funny because that paranormal investigate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're literally facing your fear as a as a job, as a hobby. Well, see, but I think that's like, OK, I don't think that demons are a thing that exists in in. I don't think that demons exist. I think there's a lot of negative energy and I think there's a lot of negativity. And I think sometimes it can manifest in a lot of different ways. But I don't think that like demon from hell is a thing that exists in actuality. And this I'm and I'm a person who's like Bigfoot. Absolutely. <laughs> Aliens and ghosts. Totally. Let's talk about it weird cryptids yeah i'm i'm inclined to believe that a lot of these things exist in some way or another i don't think that there are malevolent demons from hell or whatever and so i think that when i'm when i go out and paranormal investigate i'm talking to nature and i'm talking to i don't know what just feel like really natural interesting things to try to communicate with the the scariest things i've ever talked to when i've been out paranormal investigating felt like the remnant energy of like shitty human beings you Mm. know that and that doesn't that doesn't feel that doesn't feel like a threat to me that just kind of sucks yeah (laughs) and so I think when I when it's a movie about like a demonic possession or whatever then I'm like oh that is actually spooky because it's like a it's a thing that I kind of don't think exists but is 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 generally touches on like I don't know because you can't do anything to that you know Mm. I'm not saying you win against a werewolf or a vampire, but it's a thing that you could fight or try to run away from. But like a demon or whatever, that's like, I don't know, can't fight that, especially if you're not Catholic, I guess, which I am not. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Is Do you think that's what it is that scares you most about the possessions and everything? Is it something you can't run from? I think it's something you can't run from. It's something you can't really combat unless you bring in, I guess, an old man with the little, with the Catholic, with the little Catholic necklace. It's not, a, it's a, the priest, like it's a collar, I think it's called. Mm. Do you believe that actually does it? Does that work? No, I, <laughs> I actually think I, I love the film, The Exorcist. I think The Exorcist has caused so much weird damage to culture just in terms of satanic <laughs> panic stuff. And people think it's also ruined a whole genre of ghost shows because now every ghost show is like got to up the stakes up time to bring in an exorcist. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a TV exorcist, you have to dress like Guy Fieri. That's the law. And so they bring in a person who dresses like Guy Fieri with the tattoos of a professional tattoo artist. And it just is, I don't know, it's it's super Catholic and it's super satanic panic stuff. So I, I don't, I'm not going to say that I don't think there's any truth to exorcism conceptually, especially given that exorcism as a practice predates the Catholic church by a lot. But I, I think there's something much more interesting in terms of how exorcisms are done in other cultures in terms of a lot of times what an exorcism used to look like was like basically therapy. You're dealing, you're talking to someone, you're sort of bargaining with 
whatever you feel is sort of making its home in the person you're talking with that person you're dealing with that person's problems versus the catholic exorcism is the media catholic exorcism which is a very specific thing of you know throwing water at a person and yelling the bible at them which i think is like yeah what do we do yeah the basically the guilt and shame that's at the core of those beliefs yeah exactly yeah Good answer. Thank you. You have chosen a spooky movie that made a big impact on you in childhood. And that movie you have chosen is Jurassic Park, which was released in 1993. Not reading Wikipedia right now. This is just (laughs) straight off off my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From your your memory of Jurassic Park. Oh my gosh. This is, I'm on the- Based on a novel by Michael Crichton. Exactly. And I'm definitely not accidentally on the page for the book instead of the movie. Right. No, because that'll be different. There's different stuff in there. Maybe you know who's it directed by and starring. Oh, uh, isn't it Spielberg? Probably. It seems right. Yeah, pretty sure it's Spielberg. I'm terrible with that stuff. Laura Dern is in it. She's the best one. Sam Neill is in it. He's the second best one. And then mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum, I think, is a bad person in real life. So I don't, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole one. Is he? But... I, I can't see him surprised by that because he's just like so charismatic. And he's, he's just one of those people that like everyone loves, but in a way that you know that he's going to have a downfall. There's been a lot of stuff stories about Jeff Goldblum I don't you know I, I'm not I'm not saying any of them specifically but if you were to google Jeff Goldblum I'm sure people could learn things about Jeff Goldblum yeah it's not even a here's what here's the thing for me I would say Jurassic Park I don't think it's a Halloween movie but it's my favorite it's it is the movie that made me afraid of the dark and that's why I brought it that's why I brought it to you I came out when I was very young and here's you have to understand about me that I was a dinosaur child like through and through I was a full dinosaur kid i was all i knew all of them i knew all the names that was my thing that adults were very impressed by they'd be like you know all the dinosaur names and i'd be like yeah absolutely i'm not one of those fucking truck kids are you kidding me (laughs) yeah what do they know like chevy toyota boring what do they know tractors awful (laughs) yeah cool oh it's a tractor it's dinosaurs a plus number one all the way um as a dinosaur kid and I loved all dinosaur media. I loved all, I had all these weird, like straight to VHS, bad rubber suit dinosaur movies that I will watch over and over again. I watched the Land Before Time movies over and over again. That is how, oh, yeah. that is how my parents got me to eat broccoli was by telling me it was the tree star from Land Before Time. <laughs> Does not look like it even a little bit, but no. I was like, that's my favorite movie. <laughs> Here we go. So Jurassic Park, incredible practical, even still like super holds up the practical effects. And that scared the hell out of me as a kid. And I loved it. And I love it. And I love it to this day. But it is the it is the first film. And I think it's just the Velociraptors. It's just the Velociraptors mm-hmm. docking around and it's dark for not even that much of it. And that's, I think, the other mark of a great horror movie is it is light most of that film. Mm-hmm. But there's enough scary shit in there both light and dark it left a huge again was not afraid of the dark until that film and that's not to say that something else wouldn't have got me you know it's not to say that if not for jurassic park i would be totally comfortable in the dark today Mm -hmm. uh but that is that is the one that did it and um yeah i just i have a i have a deep love for that movie i love the whole franchise there's most of it's bad there's one good jurassic park movie and there's six jurassic park movies there's one good one and there are five bad ones and every time a new jurassic park movie comes out everyone's like wow i can't believe the new one's bad and it's like (laughs) only one was good i don't know why people are still surprised by this i will say first one is good the second one is bad but fun 
the third one is worse but still fun and then the three chris pratt ones are just like they're they feel heartless they don't feel you know what i mean they're like they're not they're fine it's fine but it's not it's not even bad fun in the way that like lost world or jurassic park 3 are yeah i'm sure you have another question i'm sorry i keep going on (laughs) no you're fine you're good Tell me a little bit more about your reaction. If you remember the first time you saw it and like, so you say it gave you a fear of the dark. Do you remember like when that started? Did it happen after the movie or during the movie? It happened after the movie for sure. And I think what's wild about like me as a, cause I don't, I'm not, I don't remember this specifically cause I was like what five or six or something when it came out. But I think the thing that it's, it is such whiplash for me because as a child, I know that I would be like, damn, these dinosaurs rule. I'm so excited to be watching a movie. Like it, I feel like as a kid viewing the film, I probably had the same emotional like arc of the characters in the movie who at first they're like, this is so cool. <laughs> dinosaurs. And then it's like, oh no, everything's gone wrong. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure that it, it happened like around right when you know the the fence fails and the T-Rex breaks through and steps on the steps on the car and eats the pooping man. I think I definitely like experienced that sort of that swelling fear and all of the it's a it is a perfect film and I can elaborate on that in terms of my, my thoughts on it now but I think yeah definitely as a kid I, I probably followed the exact emotional arc of the characters in the film that makes sense I remember that being something I loved about it as as a kid I think it was one of several movies that caused me to just start looking at everything in life differently because having that okay. shift of like yeah. seeing something one way and then shifting into like seeing it in a more dynamic way just totally. yeah I love that that's what I loved about that movie it also scared me but I don't know not really it scared me during the movie and not after so I was sort of the opposite okay. yeah. but also people never knew like when I was scared because I would just stare dead at the TV <laughs> you wouldn't, like, I wouldn't like cry or shiver or anything which is like yeah thinking like that's scary chi- and what's cool about that is a child staring dead at anything is also spooky I <laughs> yeah I definitely that's got that sc- feedback the scary one <laughs> yeah so yeah how has your reaction changed since the first time I think when I was a kid I just appreciated it as like a fun exciting scary movie with cool looking dinosaurs as an adult now there's only a couple of movies that I think are like this is a perfect film and by perfect film I mean start to finish every character has an interesting narrative arc that has stakes and evolves based on everything happening the scoring of the movie is perfect I will Jurassic Park is one of like three movies where I will just be doing like whatever and just like it'll the theme will just be like oh and here's part or you know and if not the main theme the like rolling up on the compound like just like the little things will just like pop in my head because it's like a perfect iconic score that's John Williams right yeah I believe so the score is perfect the practical effects I mean there's a reason the practical effects in the original Jurassic Park looks looks so much better than even the new Jurassic Park movies that are just full like CGI stuff. It's because they had a big a big rubber T-Rex that was uh, animatronic. And my ideal, I'm not one of those like no CGI. My ideal is you use a little bit of CGI to to update like the, the Chucky the Chucky show is great with it's got a practical puppet doll and then you know when they want to do like a specific eyeball thing that's CGI and it's like yeah that makes sense that's that's how it should be I think yeah um the first Jurassic Park really I think 
really did that in a, in a phenomenal way. Even just like the character arc of Dr. Alan Grant, the Sam Neill character. People always, you know, they joke about that first scene when he threatens the kid with the with the Velociraptor claw. But it's it's to illustrate a point. It's not just uh, this is a grumpy old dude. It's a this is a guy who fundamentally doesn't understand caring for children conceptually. And this is sort of this is a source of struggle between him and Dr. Stadler who is his love interest, played by Laura Dern. And Dr. Alan Grant's arc through the movie is getting stuck with John Hammond's grandkids and being forced to look after them. And one of them is a little dinosaur expert, and one of them is the computer is the hacker, which there's a great there's a great hacking scene in it. There's a couple great, like, this is not how computers work, hacking scenes in Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. I think there's two of them. Beautiful stuff. Yes. But it, his his arc of coming to care for these two kids when children were something that he like fully did not understand as compared to the whole sort of source of the problem with the island being children and that is dinosaurs figuring out ways to reproduce Mm. even when they're not supposed to as illustrated by ian malcolm's life finds a way speech like it's it's this whole idea of offspring and legacy and what we create and what we look after that is really illustrated perfectly through Alan Grant's arc. And it's easy to overlook it. It's easy to just be like, oh yeah, he's a grumpy guy at the start. And by the end of it, he's less grumpy. And it's like, that's true, but it ignores sort of how much the concept of life and existence is sort of interwoven, I think, in in his arc. Jurassic Park is a is a really good movie that has no, there's no fat to cut on it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it is a it is a perfect movie to me in that every single part is for something and either sets something up or heightens the stakes or pays something off. And I think that's just very, very cool. So I you know, all the film criticism, whatever stuff, I definitely did not think as a child because as a kid, I was like, damn, cool, scary dinosaurs, huh? <laughs> but as an adult, it is one of it is a perfect film to me. Maybe one of my favorites of all time, if not like my second favorite movie of all time. Nice. That's a really cool perspective, the way that you laid out kind of the messages or interpretations of the movie that's really interesting to me because my interpretation, and I think the one that people talk the most about, but I will simplify it, which my takeaway from it was always just humans are stupid. (laughs) Humans are fucking stupid, which is like, it's a reduction of the idea of, you know, they, they never stop to ask themselves if they should do this, which- I um I was very terrified. Well, I still am of the Large Hadron Collider. Okay. It's a it's a serious fear for me. Um, yeah. Not afraid of very many things, but that is one of them. And it's exactly that. Is they're like they don't know they don't really know what they could do. They yeah. don't really know what could happen. They just want to see. They just want to fuck around and find out. And mm-hmm. that is what Jurassic Park is about. And that's what I took away from it as a kid too. Of like, and that's not that's not incorrect. You know, like that's right. I would say that it's that messaging def, definitely in there for sure. That's yeah. and that's not to say that like oh yeah no it's not about you know because yeah absolutely it is about that too. I also find I find the large hadron collider scary. I think it's it's scary in sort of a Lovecraftian way, just in that there's nothing we can do. Like there are forces at play that you and I as just fucking people have nothing we can do about it and i think that's sort of existentially dreadful but i also feel that way about just like a lot of american politics so i I think that's not just that's not just uh that but i i definitely think that sort of humans are stupid and um and beyond just humans are stupid humans are malicious i think you can track a lot Mm -hmm. of that in like through the at least the very the original godzilla film right this idea of people create 
terrible destructive things in the form of bombs and weapons and and all sorts of stuff like that and so i think that's definitely there too i think that the film does a really good job i think that the movie humanizes john hammond a lot you know like john hammond is wrong and you see his hubris on display and they set him up as this sort of i think the the line is he's trying to stand on the shoulders of the people who did all the work before him and that's definitely in there and the hubris of man is in there but i think it's also He's also ultimately the person who had those grandkids who are the sort of the life that is protected and the life that Dr. Alan Grant learns to safeguard throughout, right? So it's sort of the, it's a binary. There's the duality of like Dr. Hammond did all this stuff. He's trying to recreate that flea circus that is mentioned early on. But there's also, there's a good version of sort of creation and taking care of, you know, not just having offspring, but taking care of future generations that's also in there. Yeah, I think all of that in a way makes this, even though it's it's really not a traditional Halloween movie, one of the things that plays into what we were saying before as making it fit into that genre nonetheless is is exactly what you were saying. And that also ultimately the scariest thing is people. Oh yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> people are scarier, <laughs> the scariest monster of all. Yeah, and I think, you know, and that's that's almost part of it. I think that's part of why like a, a monster movie for Halloween I never really enjoy the like, I don't enjoy any of the the Eli Roth torture porn stuff. I don't really enjoy. Is that Saw? Yeah, that's like that genre, like Hostile or whatever. I don't really oh, yeah, enjoy I that. I don't enjoy movies that's like, this human is bad and, and he's killing a lot of people. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, you got to be interesting about the way that you're going to tell that story. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it isn't. And and also just even even the interesting ones, I, you know. I want to watch a big spooky scary movie for especially for Halloween. I wanted to have monsters and stuff in it because like there's enough there's enough evil people <laughs> there's enough evil people in IRL that are just kind of out there doing stuff and I'm like, "Well, what if he uh, what if he got like a claw for a hand and he just comes in your dreams?" That's better, yeah. I think, right? <laughs> Much better. <laughs> Well, would you recommend Jurassic Park to everybody? If not everybody, then who specifically should watch this movie? I think everyone should watch Jurassic Park, especially if you haven't seen Jurassic Park. We're sort of getting to an era where like, I don't know what people have seen. I'm In general, I try to be chill about what people like and don't like. So if someone's like, I don't like dinosaurs, I'm like, great, don't watch it. I don't, that doesn't bother me. In the same way that I think, like you say, people will say like, I don't like Star Wars and a bunch of weirdos would be like, you have to like Star Wars. And it's like, hey, listen, I love Star Wars. You don't have to like Star Wars. It's about space wizards. I don't actually care if you, it's not for everybody, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but in general, I think if if you like an action movie, if you like a horror movie, if you like cool practical effects, I would absolutely recommend Jurassic Park. And also just, I think if you are looking for a really interesting super super multi-layered study in narrative i think i think jurassic park does narrative in like a in a really spectacular way and i think i would especially recommend it to anyone who's like interested in telling stories and looking at stories that might sort of on the surface seem like a simple a to b like a plot b plot and like one standard arc but are actually like super super complex and have a ton of layers and a ton of like different different meaningful moments i think i think people who are interested in film and narrative should watch jurassic park i agree and i think that jurassic park is more accessible in that way than star wars like i would say i'm surprised that star wars has become so popular especially like because when i was a kid like i was one of the few kids who was into star wars now it's like yeah. everybody likes it which is weird to me but <laughs> i think jurassic park is more is more something that has something for everybody totally i agree with that not just space nerds 
Um, oh, and I'm also going to be controversial and say that you should definitely watch Jurassic Park, but don't read it. Sorry, Michael Crichton. That book is a no. <laughs> This is a, <laughs> no, thank you. This is a big play the hand for me, but I have not actually read it. So That's I just watched the movie. Yeah. Good. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> it's so bad. I assume because the book came before the movie, the book was more likely to have like more sexist stuff or, mm, or less likely. Wait, less likely. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, I thought the book would be less sexist because Hollywood is famous for being sexist and right. putting women into these particular roles and giving them small roles. It's actually the opposite. The book is way more sexist. It the way yeah. that it writes women is gross, that and sucks. their characters are not as developed as they are in the movie. So, big props to Hollywood for this one for doing a much yeah, better job. Doctor Stadler rules. Yeah, 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 she's great. I probably won't read it. <laughs> Don't bother. <laughs> unless you like, you know, getting angry and just like yelling at a book, that can be fun. Unless I like a sexist <laughs> book about. Unless I like a sexist <laughs> version of a story that I like. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for being on this spooky special. Yeah, thank you for having me. If people would like to find more of Dash, where can they do that? They can follow me on Twitter. I'm probably the most active on there. It's at Dash Kwiatkowski. I also, I have a podcast that's a psychic advice podcast called Psychic Friends. Friends is spelled with a Z. That releases episodes every Thursday, so people are, are welcome to listen to that. But yeah, I would say Twitter mostly. I tweet a lot about all my projects. I have a pilot that I shot that I'm sort of it's in the production phase right now, and I will be talking more about that on my Twitter. Twitter is the best place to see what I'm up to and also what I'm thinking right before I go to sleep. And I got to tweet it. And and just that's where that's where the gold happens, baby. Was <laughs> <laughs> the pre-sleep thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And once again, you can also find Dash at the 18 minute mark <laughs> at the 18, yeah, 18 on minutes. YouTube so that it gets tracked. <laughs> Okay, well, Zoom is trying to kick us off, but once again, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I had a very nice time. Good talking to you. Talk to you later. Bye. Our next spooky guest is Master of Muppets, also known as Nicole Eichenberg, a comedian, a writer, a roast battle champion and secretary of diversity. <laughs> Welcome, Nicole. Hey, thank you for having me on. Nicole, aka Master of Muppets, has selected a spooky feature for us to discuss. But first, I'm going to interrogate her. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Starting with, Nicole, to you, what defines a good Halloween movie? I think of something kind of with a spooky atmosphere that you can watch with the lights off during that perfect fall day where it's like the sun is starting to go down early and it's chilly and the leaves are making that like weird scraping sound when the wind moves them across the pavement. To be honest, I am not so much of a gore person. I respect the people who like it. It's not so much my thing. Maybe because at work I see a fair amount of like body horror as it is. Mm. But I like things with more atmosphere, um, like The Orphanage. I don't know if you've seen that. It's in Spanish, like really amazing. The acting is honestly the best part of it. It's called The Orphanage? The Orphanage, or El Orfanato in Espanol. I think you'd really like it. It's very atmospheric. There's actually a really good plot in it, great actors. Charlie Chaplin's daughter's in it. Oh, how cool. Yeah. I don't know if I realized he had kids. I watched Blonde, that movie that nobody likes on Netflix about Marilyn Monroe. Yes. And, and I guess she was having a poly relationship with Charlie Chaplin's son and another guy whose name I forgot. And that's how I found out that Charlie Chaplin had a son too. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. So the orphanage is, is a good one. What about it makes it a good Halloween movie? 
it has that atmospheric thing like it's set in like a creepy old orphanage that looks like it's haunted anyway and spoiler alert it is <laughs> and then there's like these caves with these waves crashing on the beach when it's stormy and like the kid goes inside the cave at one point and is talking to something that's not actually there and like there's a whole thing where like the kid gets lost uh, but like the mom has to do kind of like a scavenger hunt around the house that goes ghostly so you can find her son again Ooh. it's very well done it's like it's a mystery it's a thriller it's it's a horror, it's a family drama, it's all kinds of things all rolled into one. Nice. So for you, a good Halloween movie is a movie that's like kind of scary and thrilling as opposed to being like funny or cute. Yeah, I, I like that kind of stuff too. Like, you know, Hocus Pocus is cute and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess my main thing is that I want an actual plot and not just a gore fest. Yes, that makes sense. Do you get scared during scary movies? I do. The last movie that scared the bejesus out of me was uh, actually Hereditary. Because mm. that part where the car is speeding and the guy swerves and you know that girl's head is going to hit the pole. I like actually pulled the blanket over my head and I screamed. <laughs> and I haven't done that like since I was a kid. That's how much that movie got to me. Was it just that scene or do you think it was the way that the movie set set things up that made that scene scary? Part of it is that for a long time, the taboo in horror movies was that you don't kill kids. Mm. But like when A Quiet Place came out and the kid dies right at the beginning, it's like something is going to change if not just this movie, this genre. And then it's hereditary to kill that girl right off the bat. It's like this is going to be like a wild ride of a movie. And indeed, it was. So your kind of fear response, fear reaction is pulling the blanket up and screaming? <laughs> yes. Sometimes if it's, if it's too terrifying or like there's a part that has a trigger a lot of movies have a lot of violence against women and it's like I know women that is triggering for them and I'm one of them and so if it's that kind of thing sometimes I'll like get up and do something else for a while or in certain cases I've just like fast forwarded through it mm -hmm. yeah I do that too I'm glad it's not just me yeah <laughs> yeah I agree that's such a it can be pretty hard to be a horror fan as a woman because of the way that women are treated in the horror genre and I know some of it like sometimes filmmakers are making a commentary on it and sometimes they're not <laughs> yes and I had this conversation with Jason B uh, who's another comedian and uh, he brought up a point where he's like well what if it's like a survivor telling a story and just you know I agree with that but like there's definitely a point where you can tell it's it's a male director and a male writer just doing it for shock value and that is the part that I don't care for totally yeah I fully agree you have chosen a spooky movie for us to talk about today that made a big impact on you in childhood the movie you have selected is Cube, which is a 1997 Canadian independent science fiction horror film that was directed and co-written by Vincenzo Natali. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Do you? That sounds good to me. Let's go with it. Okay. <laughs> Nicole, tell me about the first time you saw Cube. My family got cable for the first time when I was in high school. Like most Asian kids, I was expected to like play the piano and go to school and get good grades and that was about it. So we got cable in high school and I was excited to kind of see some new stuff. And we had the sci-fi channel back when it was like SCI-FI and not like SYFY like it is now, yeah. which I guess is like CP. <laughs> <laughs> they had a teaser for this movie and like they showed enough that you could tell it was going to kind of be like an Agatha Christie and then there were none type thing. And I've always loved that story. So I was hooked. And so it happened to be on a weekend. Like my parents were out of town. I had the house to myself and I watched it. and. 
for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's super low budget. I think they shot for like 350000 but like the writing and the atmosphere and the acting is totally top notch. Like the budget was like 50% people were paid and like half of it was like donated services. Oh, wow. Yeah, the way it's set, it's the the set was only one cube and like a half cube. And the plot of this is it's like a giant Rubik's cube where they put, I think it was six or seven strangers in it and they gradually find each other. This movie was kind of based off five characters in search of an exit, which was a short story and a Twilight Zone episode, the original series. But the thing that's different is that in five characters, they're all in this hollow cylinder and they can't get out and they're not expected to. And in this movie, you can tell whoever created this cube has made it so you're supposed to try to escape or at least find a way to survive there. There's there's hatches to get from room to room. There, there's like thousands of cubes total. Somebody did the math in it and I forget. Some of the rooms are trapped. Everyone gets put in these kind of like prison jumpsuits, which I think is making a commentary on prison industrial complex. Uh, this guy named Alderson walks into a cube and all of a sudden this like grid of blades comes down and like slices him into cubes. And it kind of reminded me of like the beginning of Ghost Ship where like that wire goes through and everyone gets cut in half. And like that for me to watch on TV in like 1999 was a huge, huge deal because <laughs> uh, I hadn't really seen stuff like that in network TV. I mean, granted, we didn't have cable, but it was really novel for me. And it's interesting as it comes together, like each character is named after a different prison and that prison kind of embodies their characteristics. Like there's a guy named Quentin who's a cop and kind of a dick. And so that to me is still super relevant uh, given everything that's happening in this country lately. There's two characters, one named Levin, one named Worth based off the Leavenworth prison. There's different numbers going into each different cube and the, there's the prime numbers are supposed to be safe, but it comes out later they're not. And they end up finding an autistic man who was written very badly I hate watching the way they film it every time because it's not sensitive at all to people's different needs. Mm. But basically this, this guy with autism can figure out that it's the square roots of primes that are safe. And so everyone has their own basically reason for being there, which I also found very interesting. And uh, the way it ends too, the only person that gets out is the autistic character. And he's the only one who can't tell anyone what's going on because he's more or less nonverbal. Mm. I thought that was kind of an interesting way to end it. Yeah. The first time that you watched it, were you scared at all? I was to a certain extent. Things that scare me are more like things that can actually happen in real life, like stalkers and, and killers. Mm. Like, I don't know if you saw Pacific Heights, that movie that came out in 1990, but there's a scene where this woman goes into her garage and like they're renting like half of their duplex to Michael Keaton's character. And this lady's in the garage, turns around and she notices Michael Keaton is in his car, just like staring at her for no reason. Ugh. And that, that's the kind of, yeah, it just creeps me out, especially as a woman, you know, having to be aware of like everything and thinking you're safe at home. Um, so Cube scared me a little bit in the fact that like, I guess we could all get kidnapped and put together, maybe not in like a cube with like 12,000 rooms because that's not really <laughs> feasible in this world. But yeah, it's it scared me to a certain extent, I guess, as much as it could be plausible. What was your predominant emotional reaction? Like, was it excitement or? I guess excitement. This is going to sound really bad, but I, I like scary movies with nihilistic endings. Mm. It's not a happy ending. It's not like all of them get out and they're safe. It's also interesting to me, too, out of seven different characters in this movie, only two were killed by traps in the cube. The rest mm. killed each other. Oh, yeah. Which true. I thought was also an interesting commentary on, you know, how people act, you know, when they're in a group and who's out for just themselves and, and things like that. Yeah, it's also an interesting commentary on the way that people act when they're under duress, even 
even when you're all experiencing the same horrible thing and you in theory should all be in it together even then people will turn on each other and become like the scariest thing in the room (laughs) yeah and I think um we all saw some of that during when COVID was first coming out for sure yeah has your reaction changed to the movie uh, since the first time you saw it versus now it has, it's a combination of, I understand the adult themes more as an adult, like especially the police thing. And there's one character who's super idealistic. She works at a free clinic, but then she gets killed by the cop towards the end, which I didn't really get. But as an adult, I kind of get more of like how that's a statement on what's happening in the world. And I think it, it's one of the rare movies where as time goes on, I think it's become more relevant to the world we live in now. Mm-hmm. Tell me what's so special about Cube. Like, What makes it so special to you? Because we hadn't seen too many locked room movies in the 1990s. I know they were huge in the 2000s. Like there was like House of Nine was really big. There are a bunch of others I'm forgetting in there. It was way before the Hunger Games where it's, you know, people kill each other until only one remains. So it was a really novel concept at the time. Yeah. I think maybe if people see it and it wasn't in that context, like they'd already seen like all these other strangers locked in a room together movies, maybe it's not quite as innovative. But like for the time it came out, it was such a new thing and like such an original script idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you recommend this movie for anybody to watch? And who specifically do you think should watch it? I would recommend it to people, but with some trigger warnings. People who are on the spectrum or a family on the spectrum, I I maybe wouldn't recommend it to because, as I said earlier, the character of Kazan is written extremely poorly. Mm-hmm. And then there there is a scene at the end where one character, surprised the cop, tries to rape another character. Mm. And that was also very triggering. So I'd say if you have rape triggers, definitely do not watch that. And thankfully, when I did, it was before... Um, I'd had experiences in my life, so it wasn't quite as triggering for me. Mm. But otherwise, I think it's a great movie. It makes some really great social points. If I were a teacher, I might even show it in a class, but thankfully for the world, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, I just said something else I was going to say and I lost it. What was it? (laughs) If you'd like, I have some random fun facts about the movie while you think, if if that's okay. Random fun fact time. All right. So uh, Vincenzo Natali. Sorry mm-hmm. if I meant to pronounce your name, sir. <laughs> uh, he also did Splice, and he was supposed to direct the adaptation of William Gibson's Neuromancer, which never came to light, sadly. I think uh, the most famous person in it is probably David Hewlett, who was in Stargate, was also in that weird 80s movie Pin with, like, that dummy that was... That movie creeped me out, but anyway. So they originally tried to film this movie in sequence where each scene is shot one after the other, but it proved to be too expensive to, like, keep changing out. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't think I said before, but each room is a different color and they're different colors, kind of like the Rubik's Cube. And so whenever people were in the red room, I guess the actors actually were angrier. (laughs) And it seems like watching, (laughs) when I watched it last week, the characters were angry in the red rooms too. I tried to keep a tally of that. Yeah, that's like a known color theory thing where being in a red room raises your blood pressure and can make you act angrier. Yeah. Since it was super low budget, there was only one day of reading the script before the filming started, so people didn't have a whole lot of time to remember their lines. Damn. And it was it was set near a train track, and so when the cubes are moving, it makes this like really weird sound, and that sound was partially <laughs> the train going by, and they incorporated that into the scenes with the movement, so it kind, oh. of, kind of used the ambient noise for their benefit, which I love. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, trains make really creepy noises. They do. And this thing, it was shot in 20 days, almost all done on a handheld camera. 
it did very well in Japan because people are used to living in a very condensed spaces, which I thought was interesting. There was a Japanese remake made last year, which I am trying to find with an English dubbing. I'm trying to learn Japanese, but I can't learn fast enough because <laughs> Japanese is super, super hard to learn. Yeah. Yeah. There were two sequels that were American sequels. Uh, there was Cube 2 Hypercube, which <laughs> I didn't care for so much. Was, it was set in a Tesseract. Was it the same director? I don't think so. I think they had more of a budget, but the script was definitely not as good. Mm. I think it's one of those cases where it's like innovation is bred from like not having everything that you need. And I think maybe having like too much in the special effects budget kind of led people to not rely on the script as much, which I don't care for. Mm, yeah, definitely. And there was a prequel called Cube Zero, uh, which to me is better than Hypercube, not as good as the original Cube, but it got into the background of like who made these cubes. Ooh. And interesting, they actually made it is that it was a prison where apparently prisoners will quote unquote volunteer for this. Mm. But it turns out they're just kind of like that body of exposition, just taking prisoners against their will and throwing them in this cube to like duke it out in this trapped environment. Mm, gotcha. Interesting. <laughs> those are my fun facts for the movie cube nice lots of fun facts i remember the thing that i was gonna say which is on the subject of trigger warnings there is a really great website called does the dog die i think it's i think it's just does the dog die.com and it originally was made so that people could avoid movies where a dog dies <laughs> but they have expanded it. And so it has like every trigger category you can think of. You can scroll down and see like, is there sexual violence? Is there murder? Is there gore? What kind of gore? Is there child abuse? Is there death of a child and stuff like that? So it's a very useful website that I recommend to everybody. If you're someone who uh, finds that you sometimes end up watching movies that are extremely upsetting that you would have preferred not to see, it's very helpful. That is good. Like, what's that one movie? It's like, it translates to Irreversible in English. It's the French one where it's like, they had the, the tones that are so low, it's supposed to like make people uneasy. Oh. And plus, it's the one with like, with the super long sexual assault scene. Oh, geez. And for that reason, it's like, I can't bring myself to watch it. It's supposed to be an amazing movie, but it's like, I can't get past that. Like, it's like a 20 minute rape scene. Oh my God. Which to me is just, I, I can't even imagine like watching the entire thing. No way. I mean, I'm against it being shown on screen at all. I just think it's not necessary. You can communicate that that happened to someone without showing it. And you don't need to like prove how bad it was by showing it. I totally agree. And I think to a certain extent, it's like what you can imagine in your mind is going to be worse than what's going to be on screen anyway. Yeah, totally. Well, any other last thoughts on Cube or any other spooky movies that you want to talk about? Uh, I will say that a remake for Cube has been on hold at Lionsgate for decades, which maybe is not the worst thing. Um, I watched the Hellraiser reboot last night. Oh yeah, how was it? I really, really, really wanted to love this movie. I like it to a certain extent. I love that they had Jamie Clayton being Pinhead because I don't think demons should be gendered anyway, and they never mentioned her being trans. And that was my big fear for that movie because it feels like trans women are always playing trans women. Mm. And so this is like a genderless demon, which I love. I don't like what they did with her voice. I think her natural voice would have been better. They made it like this weird distorted thing that wasn't scary at all. Mm. And somehow it's like, I don't think the script was bad, but there's like a disconnect between like the script and the acting. Gordon Vishnik, who I love, he was an ER. He was a Croatian theater actor. It, the way he's doing the lines, it doesn't seem to fit the dialogue. And I don't think that's him. It might be a directing thing. Oh, interesting. 
yeah so it's like reboots are kind of hit and miss for me so like whenever i see someone remaking a movie i love like the orphanage for instance it's a spanish movie by guillermo del toro and they've tried to remake it in the american way and i'm really glad they haven't because i think it would lose a lot of what made it so special yeah absolutely there's a, an example of that let the right one in the swedish movie is one of my favorite horror films and they remade yeah. they remade it like an american version that i never watched because i watched the trailer and hated it and i hated the very concept because it's already a perfect film the original one yeah there is no reason to remake it in english zero why it already exists <laughs> <laughs> and the american version was not good i'll just tell you that right off the bat yeah that's what i heard is that it wasn't good and they like changed some crucial points that made the original story interesting such as the fact that it's not a romance like it's not the original yeah it's exploring like the interesting dynamic nature of relationship between a child and a mythical beast basically yes not romance <laughs> but yeah one thing I did like about the new Hellraiser is that the main character was playing a recovering addict oh which I like for a lot of reasons because she's also an unreliable narrator mm-hmm which I think plays a lot into the script. So I was hoping when I saw that it would be really good, but then that part kind of was lost in what they did with the ending. Gotcha. So if you had to rate out of 10 popcorn buckets, 10 being the best, how much would you give Cube and how much would you give the new Hellraiser? (laughs) For Cube, I would say nine. One of the things I liked about it was that they obviously had a very short time to film. And so there's pretty much like no fluff in it, which I thought was great. It was also almost all practical effects. The new Hellraiser, I would give uh, maybe a six. (laughs) This will be already on TikTok by the time people hear it. But uh, Brett Stoltz and I are going to be stitching a review of the new Hellraiser on TikTok tonight, which is the 8th of October. Cool. So if anyone cares to look at our opinions, that'll be on TikTok for all to see. Nice. Perfect timing, (laughs) because now is the time where you tell everyone how to find you online. For example, your TikTok handle. I am on pretty much every social media platform at Nicole is just okay. So that's Nicole is just and then just the letters okay. Yep. Nicole is just okay on everything. (laughs) which is why I picked it. <laughs> awesome. Are there any upcoming projects or shows that you'd like to share with folks? There are. Um, I'm going to be on Out Punch tomorrow, which is a Scottish pun competition. I'm super excited. Ooh. Uh, I have my, my monthly shows, Willie Listen, Dear Abby, WTF, and Comedy Yacht Club. And Power Play might die because something has to get in my schedule. And speaking of which, I am uh, going to do a project through my diversity position where I'm basically going to like try to reach out to all the hiring boards and have someone who's there as an advisor when they're making hiring decisions, um, which if anybody knows me personally is kind of um, the best revenge because I was experiencing racism and retaliation at my last job. So mm. to me, it's kind of like, guess who's back, Emma? <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Congratulations on that position. And thank you for your service in that role. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I always love being on your podcast. Hell yeah. I love having you.
spooky, or scary skeletons. Tricks, treats, and feats. Feats? No. No, tricks, treats, and hollow screams. Uh, tricks, treats, and screams? That's yeah, fun. Trick, yeah, tricks, treats, and screams. But am I lying? Because I'm not going to scream. Ah. Ah. A, a, uh, no, a. well, the, it's the audience that scream. Oh, so yeah. Scared. Oh, and I can just edit in someone else's scream. Yeah. Okay, should I do a goofy um, name? Like, instead of Mixtape Majesty, it's like Mix Boo Magis Scream. <laughs> <laughs> I like Magis Scream. Uh, <laughs> mummy Tape. <laughs> mummy Tape. You know, because mummies. How about just Mix Ghost? Mix Ghost Magis <laughs> It's so stupid, I like it. Okay. Mix Ghost Magis Scream. This is especially funny if like someone listens to this and it's the first one they've <laughs> episode they've listened to. And they're like, what the fuck? Okay. And then for you, would you like a spooky name or a regular name? Yeah, I'll we can go a spooky name. I'll introduce you. I'll be like Milk Surface, or I'll do your spooky name and then I'll be like also known as Milk Surface so people can yeah. still find you. But what's your spooky name? Sour Cream Grave Top. <laughs> Sour Cream Grave Top. Okay. <laughs> you have to you have to do the hands waving too yeah <laughs> uh, sour sour scream no sour it's okay and then you, you already have the real state on scream in the name yeah true and then your descriptors it's all say artist podcaster sleeper sleeper expert sleeper <laughs> no <laughs> No, <laughs> terrible sleeper. Yeah, terrible sleeper. <laughs> sleeper noob. Uh, chronic sleeper. Yeah, we'll do chronic sleeper. Chronic. Okay, chronic sleeper. And then what about your scary one? Spooky one. <laughs> Mildly chout inducing. Oh, what about uh, snakes for bones? Oh, yeah, yeah, snakes for bones. How do I make th- make that into a descriptor, though? Uh, An artist, podcaster, chronic sleeper, and... Uh, a slither-boned slither <laughs> artist... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can just say a chronic sleeper with snakes for bones. Okay, there you go. Okay. you Sorry that you're kind of like my guinea pig. It's uh, the worst kind of pig. <laughs> no, it's the best. No, I hate guinea pigs. Oh, my people eat them. Does that help? When you say my people, <laughs> do you mean like your your friends and colleagues or my hereditary? Pro- hereditary. Oh, okay. Just I had to <laughs> make sure. I didn't want to assume. Yeah, Peruvians. They're like chickens in Peru, basically. People raise them and eat them. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Ah!